but basically 87% of U.S. firms expect to make real estate strategy changes in the next 12 months as a direct result of the COVID pandemic. And so what Heinz wanted to do was be in a really great position to capture some of that change that happens. And I think, you know, as it relates to the CBD, as it relates to office space, I am I am big on the camp that office space is not dead. Um, I am big on the camp that office that flexibility from um, from the standpoint of being able to work in different places at different times is here to stay. You've scanned the headlines, read the articles, and liked the posts. Now listen to the experts themselves in the Future of Work podcast, presented by AllWork.Space. Are you ready? Hello, and welcome to the Future of Work podcast by AllWork.Space. I'm Ceci Amador de San Jose, and today I'm looking forward to chatting with Anya Rinker, Director of Workplace Services at Heinz, about the changing theory and flexible workspace landscape. Annie, welcome. Thank you, Ceci. I'm really excited to be here today. I'm really, really happy to have you. Annie is the director at Heinz Workplace Services. She is responsible for the rollout and operations of their flexible office platform, including the Square, the co-working brand developed by Heinz. And I want to start off by saying Heinz was probably among the pioneers um, as a landlord to launch their own flexible workspace brand. Why? Oh, well, you know, I, I'd like to say that I, I was the one at Heinz that did it, but I had honestly nothing to do with it from its inception. So um, I only joined Heinz in 2019. And at that point, Heinz was pretty far down the path of thinking through, um, you know, not necessarily exactly how we were going to roll it out and what it meant for Heinz, but certainly that Heinz needed to take uh, a step forward in having a more formalized, formalized flex office product. Um, and, you know, I think, you know, it, it's interesting when I first started at Heinz, I was with within the Office of Innovation. I joined the Office of Innovation team and it's a, it's a you know, it's a group still to this day that's thinking about all of the stuff that's happening in real estate today and how technology and how we work and where we work and how buildings are built and all the prop tech that's going into this industry and all the dollars that are flowing to it, you know, how all of that should change Heinz's strategy. And so, you know, way back in the day, Charlie Coons, who was, um, you know, leading the group at the time, he, uh, you know, he started to see a lot of things that were happening um, with WeWork. And I think specifically that all of a sudden, you know, co-working and flex office isn't a new thing. It's been around since the 80s. But historically, it was small and medium sized businesses. And then now all of a sudden, you know, WeWork had a number of tenants that were large tenants of our Heinz global portfolio, but were seeking out this product and Heinz wasn't able to deliver. And so instead they were going to third parties. And not only were they just going to third parties for this sort of, you know, what, what traditionally was thought of as flex office, but they were going, you know, a, like a company like Amazon would go to an operator and they would take a couple seats and then a couple more, and then they take a floor and then they take two floors. And instead of having a direct relationship, um, you know, we we didn't we lost that relationship and we lost that touch to the to the to our customer, our client at the end of the day. And you know, I think Heinz has um, we care a lot about the buildings that we build. We care a lot about the property management team that runs the space, and we care a lot about the customers who interact with our product. And so, I think the Office of Innovation did a fantastic job at the time of. Uh, making a really compelling argument as to why Heinz needed to get into this. Um, and they were really futuristic at that point, you know, not necessarily for 
those of us who are living and breathing co-working every day, but as a large institutional owner, developer, landlord, you know, to say, I wanted, you know, I see the shift that's happening in the workplace and I want to have that direct relationship with our customers, even if it means changing or making some adjustments to our product strategy, or at least adding a new product into our stack. Um, that's something that they were really passionate about. And, and uh, the innovation team was at the forefront of thinking through that. And so, you know, fast forward, I, I joined the Heinz team in 2019. And at that point, there were, you know, a couple of locations that they had identified, um, two of which we opened in 2020. Um, you know, but I think for Heinz, it's always been about the experience. It's always been about putting our customers at the forefront of, of how they interact with our buildings. And I think landlords historically have not necessarily thought about everybody who's setting foot into their product type. Um, but I think Heinz is really starting to shift and, and started to do so back when they were co-working on, on how, you know, how they really push this product into the future and how we can be more engaging with our customers as a result. And I have to say that, I mean, Heinz did a great job. I mean, you guys were pioneers in that sense. And I think it's paid off, especially now um, that we're seeing a lot of landlords kind of embrace the flexible workspace model. And then part of the reason why it was surprising that Heinz did this so early on is because at the time, landlords were still still skeptical about kind of like get, going into business with co-working operators. I mean, it wasn't the most solid of business models. Um, and so what, how did Heinz approach this? And I know you guys have championed uh, management agreements um, with Industrious, and that's been a great partnership and it's helped grow Industrious and Heinz co-working offering as well. What can you tell us about the landlord perspective of why this partnership model works and why it was better to partner with a co-working space operator versus just doing it on your own? Yeah, so um, I will say that, you know, we, we've started to see some shifts in how uh, we think through this. So, um, again, well before my time, our Office of Innovation identified several really key uh, operators in this space that were doing, you know, a fantastic job from a growth standpoint that they had, you know, the experience and the hospitality elements that Heinz really considers to be a core product of what we offer through our property management. And so Industrious was one of the companies that we identified through an RFP process um, early on in thinking through this. And we knew we wanted to bring them on as an operator. Um, so they were part of the operation for our first two locations. They're still operating um, our location in Salt Lake City uh, um, through the Industrious platform. We call it the square with Industrious. And, and the intent is that we have the we created a white label product, basically um, an in-house product, uh, the Square, and where we need to use partners, we certainly will um, partner with a with a solid operator. Um, you know, as we continue to scale globally, it might not make sense for us to operate all of these locations in-house. Um, but we have shifted a strategy, and a lot of that, frankly, had to do with COVID and a lot of the things that we've seen over the last 19, 20 months. Um, you know, but but we have shifted away from a partnership model, and we are bringing operations in house, um, uh, and are are doing so at uh, one location. And the next two locations that we are opening will be through an in house operation. I think we'll probably look at sort of an in house first model, but certainly not exclusive to in house. Um, we are still open to partnering, like I said, where it makes sense to do so. Um, and I think that's something that Heinz has always done really well is that, you know, we, we enjoy partnerships where it makes sense. Um, and if we if we think that it the model is more appropriate and makes sense for us to bring in house, then we'll figure out how to do that as well. 
and and so you 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 had clients. You're kind of you you've seen both sides of the coin. So, what can you tell us about the benefits and disadvantages of each um, model, like doing it in house versus partnering with a third party? Yeah, I mean, you know, it's not something that we went into lightly. It it took a lot of time and research for us to sort of think through how we build it out. I think. You know, each each larger landlord is going to be different. A lot of it has to do with the capital partners that that we work with at each each of our different product projects. And I think, you know, we're a hundred percent in agreement that the management model is the right path forward. I think that what we've seen, especially in COVID, is that the traditional leasing model, you know, in, in the good times, the operator is taking all the upside. And in the bad times, you know, the the landlord's taking a lot of risk from an operator walking away. And so um, we we are fully in agreement that the that the management agreement is the best approach forward, that it, it it aligns the operator with the landlord. I think what we've seen though is bringing operations in-house further, further, you know, solidifies that alignment because it is truly what's what we are doing. Uh, is best for the asset rather than for the um, for the sort of the operational component of the co-working space. And so, what I mean by that is, you know, we we might have a building where we make a decision to do something that might you know hinder the you know the 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 margins that we're able to achieve in the co-working space. But at the end of the day, if we're we're adding exponential value um, uh, through the building itself, then that is fundamentally a much bigger play for Heinz. It, it helps, I think our, uh, capital partners, which is extremely important to us at the end of the day, we consider ourselves to be fiduciary managers. And so we want to always look at what's the best strategy. How can we add the most alpha, um, to our operation and having a in-house operation that allows for us to be extremely flexible in the truest sense of the word, including how we operate and deals that we might do to support leasing strategies or asset strategies, um, it makes the most sense. But, you know, again, we didn't start off that way. And I, I, I'm not saying that we will forever from this day forward, um, you know, be in a self-management situation. I think, you know, for us, we did a lot of evaluating of what a platform would look like for us to bring operations in-house. And, you know, I mean, frankly, for most owners and landlords, it doesn't necessarily make sense because the scale that you have to have to pay for sort of the operating platform. And if, you know, you think about some co-working metrics uh, in terms of, of an operation, you know, you might have anywhere between 20 to 40% margins and really strong uh, operating locations and some that aren't so good, you'll have between 10 and 15. And then there might be some operations that are losing money and so for us you know we had to look at what our corporate overhead was going to be by us bringing operations in-house and by the time you pay for a staff and the software and the marketing and the operations to support multiple locations what did it mean from us for a growth standpoint um you know but it was something that heinz was willing to 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 sort of create like you know my my division is is almost like a it's not a profit center necessarily. We are we are intentionally designed to add an operational component to our property management stack that will help support the asset strategy as a whole and add co-working operations on, knowing that there are a lot of components that we need to think through and, and divisions that we need to create to support co-working operations because it is fundamentally much different than property management. 
but by us having that strategy and not necessarily looking at the yield that we can achieve on a on one specific co-working floor, but rather the amount of value that we can add to a building by having this operation, it's it's something again that Heinz Heinz was willing to to sort of go in headfirst um, and and keep pursuing. And I remember speaking about the value of a building. I remember I think it was a couple of years ago, 2019. I believe it was CBRE, but I'm not entirely sure. And they did some research and they concluded that having a certain percentage of a building be co-working, it could increase property value by about 20%. I don't know if that's sort of um, kind of like the same number that, that you guys have found. And like you said, COVID has changed the theory landscape dramatically. And yeah. you guys need to be more flexible. And I think that's kind of like the key core concept of moving forward, future of work, um, whatever the new normal will be, is that it has to be flexible. And a lot of that has been spoken about companies and they being able to kind of like sign shorter leases and stuff like that. But I do think that in the CRE industry, which has been known to be a little bit slow in adopting new technologies and welcoming kind of like innovative innovative, um, approaches, I think that the flexible workspace offering is increasingly becoming very, very valuable for landlords and property owners. Yeah. Um, and so I guess, Annie, what I want to get at is how do you see um, the theory industry and large property owners kind of like leveraging this new flexible offering in the yeah. future? Um, there's been a lot of talk about hybrid working, satellite offices and yeah. Exodus from city center. So how how does flexible workspace, whether it's um, in house or through a third party, how does it impact? How will it change the CRE landscape? Yeah, I mean, I think you know, there's like there's a lot of a lot of noise out there, a lot of statistics that you can point to. I think you know one of the things that we thought was there's a lot a lot of research that we've done in this space, and you know one of the big things that we notice from a research standpoint and this i think came from the pwc us remote work survey um, but basically 87 percent of us firms expect to make real estate strategy changes in the next 12 months as a direct result of the covid pandemic and so what heinz wanted to do is be in a really great position to capture some of that change that happens and i think you know as it relates to the CBD, as it relates to office space, I am I am big on the camp that office space is not dead. Um, I am big on the camp that office that flexibility from um, from the standpoint of being able to work in different places at different times is here to stay. Um, and I think that it's just going to change the strategy that you know that that um, institutional portfolio managers are going to have to look at or that you know, enterprise portfolio managers are going to take for their teams because people, you know, it, we've even seen it just, you know, hiring new associates um, uh, in different organizations. We've heard that if you don't offer flexibility, then you are not going to attract them. And I think the, this word flexibility and this concept of it is is interesting because when I say that, I'm not talking about having, you know, a co-working strategy. I think that that's sort of like one piece of it. Yeah. But the point is that, enterprise organizations and even you know small startup medium-sized businesses they need to realize that what's happened over the last 18 19 months has dramatically shifted how and where people want to work we recently interviewed a bunch of um, interns that were in working for Heinz over the summer and you know everybody was on the, the bandwagon of a three-day work week 
<laughs> you know, I, I think that what I found for myself personally, I'm, I'm in the office today, but I think, you know, I'm, I'm in the office, I'd say four days a week. And I like one day a week where I sort of heads down with, with work. That's me personally. And that's the biggest thing here is that it's, it's such a dramatic shift and it's such a personal experience. And I think companies need to recognize that, that there's not this prescriptive one size fits all on how we work anymore. Um, and that they need to have a, a portfolio strategy that's supportive of that. And so that's sort of the approach that Heinz is taking. I think you will see a compression in the amount of space that people take. But I think what's going to be really interesting is, you know, if you think historically, uh, you know, a company needed 20,000 square feet of office space, and now they only need 10,000 square feet. Well, if they have, you know, the same budget, they can afford, you know, to have extremely beautiful, really, really well positioned space so that when their teams are coming into the office, it's just this incredible experience. Um, and I had a conversation the other day with somebody. And I was like, you know, I feel like it, everything's so cyclical. And I feel like my life is like that right now because, you know, when I started off in co work 2006, you know, we had to think of really, interesting ways to get people to come into our offices because it was a you know a serviced office back then an executive suite whatever you want to call it but we were working with primarily small and medium-sized businesses that had options to work they could work from home or they could work from a starbucks and both of those were free options and so we had to attract them into our space by having you know the the best customer service in the industry and having really great coffee and having really spectacular hospitality elements and really beautifully designed spaces and really spectacular internet and all these different things. And now I feel like that's that concept is being applied to a full building where now property owners um, and landlords and managers are thinking, well, how can I have, and, and even portfolio managers for the enterprise occupiers are saying like, how can I re attract people back into the office? And I think that it's a lot of those same elements that made co-working what it is today that we're now just looking to apply on a larger scale to a full building. Um, you know, but it's, 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 again, it's not something that is uh, necessarily new. I think it's just shifting the mindset um, for a, a developer and a landlord. And so, you know, that, that company that had 20,000 feet, now they might have 10,000 feet. That's just like the best office space ever. And people are going to want to go to it at least a couple of days a week. And so I think, you know, you're going to see a, a pretty big hit in class BC office space, but some of the premier, um, you know, development projects in, in the CBDs, I think will still survive. Um, it's just going to be a, a rethinking of how space is utilized. I, I have to agree with you that I'm on camp. The office is definitely not dead. Uh, but I do think that companies will have to very make it very appealing for people to want to go back and like destination workplace. And I do think that amenities will play into that and, you know, amazing design. And you just touched on the point that I wanted to bring up, which is um, vacant space in CBD areas, especially as more people move to hybrid work and if companies start to open satellite offices in more suburban residential areas. Do you think, um, and you just mentioned that grade B, grade C buildings are likely the ones that will experience the most vacancies. Do you think this space will be repurposed in any specific way? Um, do you think they're just gonna make upgrades and? kind of like try to convert it into a class A type of um, environment. What do you see happening in that specific area of the CRU landscape? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, you can take a, a, a B building that's in a really great position or location within a city, you know, really near transit, really high walkability scores, close to parks, you know, restaurants, et cetera. But it just needs maybe some redesigning and, and you can reposition that asset. Um, 
and adding some of these elements in and 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 you know all of a sudden you are looking at something that is um you know at least a b plus a minus building um and i think you know that's a really interesting concept because a lot of we've we've been in this like amenities race for you know years now um with different building owners throwing a ton of money at gyms and lobbies and lounges and all these you know high quality amenity spaces for occupiers and the big question is well who starts paying for that and i think that what co-working can potentially do is start to provide this concept of a monetized amenity you know because historically speaking in the amenities arms race um you know a landlord would build out a conference center and they would take the you know the rent that they want or you know some type of, of common area maintenance and charge that back to the tenants and it's adding to the core factor you know but i think that there could be a world now where what co-working has done really well is they figured out how to monetize uh, you know this this like high quality amenity and if we can apply that concept to not only co-working but the, the conference centers and everything that um, are sort of going into spaces all of a sudden you have the same lobby and lounge for tenants, and you've got the conference facility for tenants as well. But we're monetizing it through bringing in, you know, people from the outside that you're able to generate a return on that space that is equal to, if not higher than, a traditional, you know, the NER that you'd achieve through a market rent scenario. And I think that that is something that is going to start happening a lot more than instead of just building out sort of like these mausoleum type lounges that aren't being utilized, you need to have like an active, you know, programming strategy behind that. And that comes through the personnel, it comes through a lot of the engagement and activities that happen in a traditional co-working sense. And so if you now have that lounge that is built out, but it's also part of a co-working lounge and the conference rooms are available for tenants, but they're also available through the co-working operation. And we're, you know, maximizing occupancy and revenues through a marketing and, and, you know, leasing strategy to bring people in that normally wouldn't have access to that space. I think it kind of changes how we look at buildings. And so now that class B building not only has these amenities, but we're able to generate, you know, rents that they normally wouldn't be able to achieve in that type of space by sort of deploying both both strategies, not just the amenities, but the monetization of those amenities. And speaking about the amenities race, and you mentioned gyms, and I think gyms were all the hype not too long ago in buildings. Do you see that changing as a result of COVID? Uh, no, you know, I, I honestly, I think that you're going to see a lot more high quality gyms going into office spaces. I think there's going to be a huge focus on wellness in the future, especially yeah. in the higher quality buildings. I think, you know, people are going to start asking about the filtration systems that we have in our buildings, which is not something that would have ever happened before. It's going to be part of the leasing tours that, you know, we'll, you know, talk, talk specifically to, um, you know, to some of the inner workings and the engineering components of a building that nobody really cared about historically. I think that's honestly a huge benefit of Heinz is that, you know, Gerald Heinz, um, you know, was a was basically an engineer and uh, he's always, always cared about, you know, he built his company caring about the the bones and the infrastructure of a building. And he wanted to design beautifully designed buildings, but he wanted the internal components to be really high quality, not only for, you know, the fact that it, you know, at the end of the day saved um, the building money and added value to the building, but it was a huge um, thing that he thought was important for our customers that they had the highest quality, you know, sort of products that went into our buildings. And so 
you know, all that to say, I think that um, gyms are going to be really important. I think that this whole concept of wellness and the amount of natural light and the amount of airflow that we have and, you know, even down to, to plants that we have in our buildings <laughs> and the, the availability of outdoor space, like it's only going to continue to be something that is more and more important with, uh, with tenants. I, I have to agree. I'm, I'm a big fan of the wellness movement within the workplace. And I think that's, I mean, everything comes with the good and the bad. And I think one of the good things that have come out of COVID is that people are being more aware of all of this and with the buildings. And so the elevators, um, the stairs, I feel like yeah. we can say goodbye to like stairs being kind of like very far behind this very ugly kind of thing, just like in case of emergency. Um, I agree that gyms are probably going to stay stick around. Um, but then I also think that there's an important component um, to the amenities and to creating this kind of like amazing workplace experience that ties back to the available technology. And it, it's part of wellness, like natural lightning, but also temperature. And so I inter the internet of things and sensors, where, what do you see the role of technology being moving forward? Um, do you think that we're going to see the CRE industry being kind of more actively incorporating and adopting kind of all of these available technologies? Do you think that they're going to contribute to a better workplace experience? What, what What's kind of like the, the landlord's perspective on that? Well, it's interesting. One of the great things about the Square is that it's not only our branded co-working product, but it's also an R&D facility for us to so think through a lot of those, um, you know, different things that are rapidly evolving, frankly, um, in, in, in the world and in CRE. So, you know, I'm at our Houston location today and we have about 150 sensors coming from, I think, seven different sensor companies. And so we're constantly tracking utilization and occupancy and, you know, even down to uh, counting door swings in the restroom so that we can deploy our um, cleaning crew, not just every two hours, but actually like based on utilization. Um, and so I think that there's a lot that that can happen. I think the interesting thing, though, is, is you know, there's, like I said, prop tech is such a big thing. I've, you know, Heinz has an entire team uh, in our Office of Innovation that's constantly thinking through how we should deploy this and, and looking at the technology and how quickly it's changing. Um, you know, but I think it's the question of how much of this is on the landlord versus how much of it on, is on the client or the tenant. Um, because there's, you know, there's, there's, I think a lot of technology that we can put into our buildings that will make the building smarter and better and more efficient. But then there's also technology, you know, kind of for technology's sake, which doesn't necessarily add value. And so that's something that's probably going to be more on the on the occupier side um and and you know again it, it i think it just depends on what technology it is and, and what the purpose of it is a, a, a great example is you know there's a there's so much um happening right now i think with tenant experience apps but almost what's happening faster is that um occupiers themselves um at least the larger ones are starting to deploy their own apps and so as buildings are starting to think through what their tenant engagement app strategy is and should be, all of a sudden now we've got this sort of another layer to add to it, which is the larger occupiers have their own. And so if we have now a building app where you can book resources and look at different things, and now the tenants also have an app, it's like, how did those two play together? And I think that it's just something that you constantly have to think through and evolve, which is which is hard. I mean, like, you know, we're we're building our our global headquarters that are, are we're going to be launching in Q1 of next year. 
And it's a project that, you know, started to develop five years ago, um, you know, and, and, and probably has been thought of for 10 years. And so if you think about five years ago where technology was, and even when we started, you know, the, the concrete pouring, which I wasn't, I don't even think I was here when it happened. So it was 2019. It's like technology is already so far in advance of where we are that you have to think about these buildings and add in these different elements, but constantly evaluate what we should be doing, how we should be thinking about it. And I think that, you know, for, for Heinz, at the end of the day, there are, there's plenty of technology out there that, that needs to happen that I think from an engineering standpoint, fundamentally can change our buildings and bring a lot of value to both uh, our, our, our financial partners as well as our, our client partners. Um, but you've, you've got to have a team. Again, that's why Heinz has an office of innovation because they're a super, super smart group that are constantly thinking about these things and, and calling out areas that we need to continue to evaluate and could add value to, to our, our enterprise as a whole. And I have to say that I agree that the rate at which technological advances have been made is a bit overwhelming. Yeah. Um, and then, and you mentioned something very, very important. And I think it's how technology can help you design better spaces. And I think that's really where the value is for, for landlords. So you guys talked, you just talked about Annie, um, counting um, how many times a bathroom door is opened and closed. And it seems small, but it's kind of like those details I feel that will make for a much better workplace experience. It's about like yeah. the seamless experience where every single touch point is improved upon. And I do think that technology can help buildings and property owners stay flexible, especially if they know how to incorporate that technology into their buildings, or more importantly, if they know how to analyze and use the data that they gather. Yeah. Yeah. And that's you, the biggest thing. I think people, people are, are, you know, looking at sensors and how can they solve things. But the thing is like, there's so much data that you can collect in a building, but it's worthless unless you have a plan on how you plan on utilizing that data. And so for us, you know, all the data that we're collecting on utilization here, it needs to be a way for us to build better product into the future uh, or provide a better service or do something with that data that we're collecting. Otherwise, you know, it's, 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 it's very expensive to collect it. Um, it can be very valuable if you use it right, but if not, then it's just an expense that that is unnecessary. I, I completely agree. And then you also talked about who pays for for what, and I do think, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I do think that tenants are willing to pay a premium for better spaces um, that are well-designed, that have the right technology in place. And I think co-working is proof of that. I yeah. mean, in the long run, if you look at like the monthly expenses of co-working, well, yes, it's short term, so you don't need as much capital, initial capital investment. But in the long run, it can be a lot more expensive. But companies and individuals, they, they're willing to pay for that for a reason. And so yeah. I think moving forward, we're going to see a lot of that. And I think that's going to kind of like force landlords to. I don't know, stay on their toes and be nimble and willing to adopt and implement new technologies and new lease models. Yeah. Um, well, I think, I mean, I think that's it. Like if you think about just technology and lease models. So I'm a big fan of, of the square and our product. It's, you know, um, but I, I don't think it's the only way that, that we can look at flexibility. So like, you know, I, I think that the whole thing, and I've said this before, that it's a spectrum of flexibility. And so not yeah. every single landlord should deploy some sort of co-working strategy in their space. Um, it, it really depends asset to asset. 
you know, ownership stack to ownership stack. But what needs to happen is they need to provide at least more flexibility through a different leasing model, through, you know, a spec suite program that also adds in some other elements. And I think that that's another big piece of it is that, you know, if you build out a 2,500 square foot spec suite, the type of tenant that's attracted to that is not going to be interested in a, you know, seven to 10 year lease and they have to figure out the technology and the furniture. Like you need to take it to the next level and provide the furniture. It needs to be turnkey and it needs to be on a short form lease. Um, and I think that that's, you know, the big thing is that, you know, we sort of deploy a, a multi, a pr- multi-step approach where it's like one product is that true flexibility where you're looking at, you know, maybe like one to three years max. And you have to have different products for individuals that are also for, for you know, larger enterprise companies for 25 to 50 people. But then you sort of have that three to five year plan where it's like, a, you know, a, a more of a, a short form lease, um, but it is service. And then from there, you can sort of step up to the next. And then there's sort of like the more traditional leasing model. But, you know, even if you're not sort of starting at the low end of the spectrum, um, you know, landlords out there need to understand that at least that middle range of flexibility is something that that you know companies really want right now and i i you know there's a ton of research out there about how quickly enterprise are shifting and it just makes it really difficult to lock into longer term leases um but it's hard because that's how that's how our buildings are valued right they're valued yeah. on uh you know a fixed a fixed income it's like you know what what is real estate real estate is like money in time period hold money out yeah. and uh and so you know when you start messing with that that sort of fixed income scenario, it changes a lot from a capital market standpoint, which I think there's still a lot of wrestling about what that is going to do to real estate as a whole. But again, I'm not suggesting that all leasing scenarios in the future are going to be flexible. I'm just saying that instead of it being, you know, 90% long term, I think that's going to start shrinking down where you're going to have maybe, you know, 50% long term. 25% that is, um, you know, sort of midterm flex and 25 that's sort of, you know, short term flex. And, um, but, but it's, you know, it is, it, it fundamentally changes a lot that real estate has been built upon. So it's a lot, a lot to think about and a lot to, you know, just consider, especially when you start adding in, you know, things that have shifted as a result of COVID and people saying that the office is dead, which again, I don't agree with, but, um, you know, it, again, there's a lot, lot that you can sort of look to, um, that's happening right now in real estate. I, I have to agree. Um, I think, and I, it's still surprising to me that people say the office is dead. Like I could believe that, you know, the first two months we were into the pandemic. Um, but then like once the three month mark came, I feel like people were starting to see the struggles of working from home and the office is definitely not dead. And I think. I think that's something that people need to realize. And I agree that it's about, it's it's on an individual basis. So you like going four days a week. I feel like we shouldn't ascribe like a particular number. I know that an average is likely to be three days a week, but I can say, I don't know, like I like working from home, but if I had access to an office really nearby, I could maybe some weeks I'd go every single day, depending on how much I need to get done versus another week, just going once a week. Yeah. <laughs> but I do think that the, the concept of flexibility is definitely what people like, kind of like you need to pin it to the top of your priorities. Like this is what you need to be thinking, how to remain flexible and resilient. Um, Annie, we're almost running out of time here. So if you could think of three 
not necessarily trends, but shifts that you're seeing in the CRU landscape. And as a result of COVID or as a result of just natural technological advances, what could they be? Yeah, I mean, I think we've kind of touched on a number of them. I think that, um, you know, the, the concept of sort of class A buildings um, being uh, a more prevalent um, leasing scenario for companies into the future. I just, I, I just think that you know people are still going to want to have headquarters and they're still going to want to have office environments for their people. Um, I just think that there's more opportunity now for those to be in Class A buildings than ever before, and that's going to be more of a desirability, you know, for the type of quality. It's just a flight to quality, which I think we're going to continue to see. Um, I think the second thing is, you know, and I don't even know if we've touched on this yet, but I think, you know, their management fees are 100% here to stay. I'm, I'm, a, I'm a big believer in that um, from the flex office world. I think that um, COVID has accelerated the need for agile workspace and that, you know, with, with what's happening with third party operators um, as a result of COVID, especially as we, you know, continue to potentially push this, um, you know, return to office down with the Delta variant, I think that, um, you know, it's it's even more so that that management agreements are here to say, but I think um, what we're going to see is that there's going to be this like compression in fees. So, you know, if you look at a, at an operator right now, they might, you know, be taking anywhere from five, I've seen all the way up to 12% from a, from a um, operating model. So as their management fee, they're taking five to 12%. Um, that's kind of like top line. Uh, and so they could still be making money with an operation losing money, um, especially during a ramp period or in a scenario like COVID. Um, so I think what we're going to see is fee compressions. If you think about, a, you know, in America, a property management contract is, you know, between two and three percent. Um, and so I think you're going to start to see that management fee compressed to be more in line with a property management fee which I think is going to shift a lot from an operator standpoint, because again, you know, there's, they're reliant on those fees. You're reliant on, you know, first and foremost in a, in a leasing scenario, sort of that lease arbitrage where you're taking, um, you know, the, the rent differential. And now in a management agreement, you're not taking any of those sort of upside scenarios, but you are dependent on fees. And now if those fees are compressing, I think it's going to be really hard for a lot of operators. So it's just something for us to watch in this industry. Um, but I think, you know, those are those are some of the big things. And I, again, I think the big thing is, is this monetization of amenities um, rather than just building out amenity spaces. How can they start to add value? And you know, when we look at, at uh, buildings to underwrite, we always look at an NER premium that we're able to achieve. And if we can start layering on elements where you don't have to build out a standalone, um, you know, a lounge or lobby area for tenants, you don't have to build out a standalone conference center, but we can sort of compact that into the operation of the co-working space um, and monetize that, then I think it's, a, it's, a, it's something that could be really interesting and, and we'll see a lot of changes happening. Amazing. Thank you, Annie, so much for taking the time to chat with us today. And thank you, everyone, for tuning in to the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Remember, you can tune in on Apple and Google Podcasts, Spotify, and YouTube. New episodes released every Thursday. Well, thank you so much. I appreciate it. If it's impacting the future of work, it's in the Future of Work podcast by allwork.space. Are you ready?